Welcome to the Word from the Ancient Path, Stories and Sermons for the Journey, a channel of blessing and encouragement for friends all over the world to hear and experience how God speaks and works through ordinary people with an extraordinary calling. We have stories of bringing good news, connecting in Christ, and building the kingdom. And we have the Word of God declared through the pastors and missionaries of Ancient Path Ministries, La Iglesia Volviendo a la Senda Antigua. I'm your guide, Pastor Kevin Job. I'm very happy to be with you. Our ministry was founded by Pastors Jose Santiago and Yamile Cruz in Jovellanos, Cuba. And my wife, Tani, and I serve as chief connection makers in the United States. Our team of pastors, missionaries, advisors, and kingdom servants is dedicated to planting churches and spreading the reach of the gospel. And so we pray that you are blessed and inspired by these sermons and reflections and the testimony of what God has done and is doing in and through us. Hey, welcome to the Word from the Ancient Path. If you're listening to this episode on its premiere day, it is September 19th, 2022, and that's a special day on my calendar. So to get things started today, we're going to jump into the time machine, and I'm going to share some thoughts from several different times that are etched in my memory. In preparing today's program, I came across a recollection of mine from September 19th, 2017, five years ago today. Let's start there. Here's what I wrote. It's a rainy Tuesday morning, and I'm looking out the office window at the gray. Two mornings ago, the church was gathered here, and God's grace allowed us an amazing morning of worship at his feet. I left feeling so close and so strong. This morning comes, and I'm reminded of my own weakness and why it is that grace is so crucial in this life. iTunes is playing the Rich Mullins song, Elijah. And I remember this is an important day for two men who have shown me the Lord in ways that I hadn't seen without them. One of them was Rich, who I never met, and whose music and witness I hardly knew when he left this earth 20 years ago today, but which since that time has spoken of the wideness of God's mercy and has reminded me of grace on more than one weak morning. I'm grateful for it again today. The other one is my little brother, who I hadn't known was part of me until the day almost 11 years ago when we crashed into each other's lives and the Lord revealed our fraternity. Joseito has been an iron to sharpen me and a brother to affirm, admonish, and encourage me every day since. And today is his birthday. So because of a guy I never knew and a guy I discovered was my brother of flesh and blood, September 19 is a grace-filled day for me, whether I'm feeling weak or strong. I know that I am surrounded and filled by the presence and the love of God. Some days the Lord just lines things up for us. So as we go, think about it. Whose presence in your life shows the Lord to you in unexpected ways, makes you grateful for his love and grace? Take a minute and pray for them and offer God just a bit of thanks for the living reminders he's given you. May God bless you richly in the remembrance. So two brothers, one a brother in Christ, Rich Mullins, who maybe I will know someday in the world beyond this life, and and one of flesh and blood, Jose Santiago Job, my baby brother, who was gifted to me by God in a most unexpected way. Each man's life and legacy has deeply impacted my own, and today and next week, they're going to feature prominently. We started this podcast in August 21 as a way to share our stories and to share the Word of God, and to be completely candid, it's also been a channel of my grief for the loss of Joseito, who left this world April 3rd, 2021, and who took with him a large chunk of my heart. I've already written and recorded a great deal about our brotherhood, and I don't really want this storytelling to just be simple repetition. So if you haven't heard about the miracle of our brotherhood, and you would like some backstory on how Jose and Yami and Kevin and Tani became a team, well, you can find that in Season 1, Episodes 15 through 18 of this program. They are all still streaming, so just go back and have a little binge listen, and it'll get you caught up. 
In the meantime, we're going to do a little more time travel. It's, it's spring of 2009, and I am serving as pastor of Norwood Grace United Methodist Church, and that was a church in which I was nurtured in my childhood. Now, the building was two blocks away from my home and in the middle of the neighborhood in which I had, for better or for worse, come of age. The Grace Building was designed more than 100 years before with banks of large stained glass windows on its east and western walls and encircling a large high dome that dominates the sanctuary. Because of that, light plays a great role in that space, the interaction of clouds and sun by day or the stars and the moon by night. One particular evening in 2009, still relatively early on in our brotherhood, as that faithful witness in the sky reflected the shafts of sunlight into the otherwise dark room, Joseito and I sat together on the floor in front of the altar. We were having one of those kinds of deep conversations that are actually much more common for young people who are discovering life for the first time than they are for a couple of middle-aged men. Only days before, after months of toil and seemingly impossible delays, we had cleared all the immigration hurdles and brought him to the United States for the first time. And a few days later, he was going to meet the 60-plus members of his Job family. We sat right there in that same spot where I was first baptized. And we continued, as we had been doing for the previous two and a half years, pouring out our stories to each other, making up for the time lost for the youth we didn't get to live together. And as our conversations went forward, we confided in each other the difficulties of our youth and the baggage that we carry through this life. He talked to me a lot about the difficult experience of growing up in Castro's Cuba as a lonely kid on a farm, dreaming of having a brother with whom he could share life. And that particular night I was speaking, and maybe not for the first time, about the history of abuse that I'd suffered as a child and as a teen. That part of my life always sort of made being at Grace Church just a little bit of a mixed bag of thoughts and emotions because... Well, the Boy Scout troop that I was part of and whose leader had molested me met in that church basement. And mementos from that time were still on the walls and in the closets in 2009. The grooming, the abuse suffered, and the separate betrayal of my trust in my early adult years had left me with serious struggles when it comes to purity of mind and clarity of thought. And I suppose it's a battle I'm going to have to fight until this life is over with. On that particular night at the altar, as I trusted my brother with some of those battles, he did something remarkable for me. And as I'm forming these thoughts right here this morning, I'm reminded of a passage in 1 Corinthians 6. Paul speaks to the church about their previous lives of sin, and he says, But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Washed. Sanctified. Justified clean, made holy, saved, period, end of story. You know, sometimes when my life doesn't seem to make much sense at all, the finality of that verbiage can weigh on me pretty hard. Because Paul's saying you used to be like that, but now you're different. But here's the catch. What if you belong to Jesus, but the bath didn't quite get all the dirt off of you? Or you can't seem to come all the way apart from what you were? And though you know you're saved, it's still really hard to feel it and act on it sometimes. And in that moonlight conversation, as Pastor Kevin confessed the struggle, little brother Pastor Jose didn't flinch. Instead, he leaned in, and with a simple change of verb tense and a hand gesture, he reminded me of something we shouldn't forget. Being washed, sanctified, justified, well, those are ongoing works of the Holy Spirit. 
He took hold of my hand, and as though he was washing it, he stroked the back of it with his own, and he reminded me that even when I felt or was actually dirty, Jesus is with me, and washing, washing, progressive, active, ongoing verbiage. In Spanish, the word is limpiando, washing. That word and his gesture still echo in me. God never stops working on us. And he gives us to each other to remind us of that and to partner with him in helping each other in the process. We're going to take a moment right now for a short break. Stay with us for more on the Ancient Path. At Ancient Path Ministries, we hope to carry the light of the kingdom of God into places where it is most needed. To see people set free from what holds them captive. Now, our ministry is built on connections in Christ, and our financial foundation depends on the regular partnership of beloved friends such as you. If you would like to be a covenant financial partner or just simply contribute to the work of the ministry, visit our website at ancientpathministries.org. Check out the church in action and see how you can be a part of bringing good news, connecting in Christ, and building the kingdom. And we are back. You know, it seems to be a great irony that as I was coming of age in Norwood, Ohio, Rich Mullins was a Bible college student and an up-and-coming musician right across town, and I never heard of him. Many years later, I became familiar with a little bit of his music. You know, our God is an awesome God, or step by step, believe me. But beyond that, his nearby life had almost no impact on me. So, okay, another trip in the time machine. It's September 1997. Back in May, I had had this amazing experience of being born again, made a new creation in Christ. And on September 20th of that year, I'm two weeks into a new calling as a praise and worship leader and at the outset of my 12th year as a music teacher. And this morning, one of my students walks into the classroom to tell me that Rich Mullins had died the previous night in a car accident. It took me a minute to even recall who he was. I couldn't remember him very well right then, but the moment I knew of his death has never left my memory. Rich's passing led to an outpouring of grief in the contemporary Christian music community and a new push to get his music and his thoughts on relationship to God heard more broadly. A couple of weeks later, a dear friend showed up at our house with a CD simply called Songs. Any other artist would have called it Greatest Hits. <laughs> she played us a song that I had never heard. If I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. And if I sing, let me sing for the joy that is born in me these songs. And if I weep, let it be as a man who is longing for his home. <laughs> well, the composition and the musicianship drew me in, but in those words, they stuck to me like a most powerful psalm. And the story of Rich's life and his meanderings and his redemption and his renewed struggles began to pour itself into my own story, shaping my ministry and my own path in a remarkable way. This is a pretty amazing time in my life. Uh, my calling as an educator was in its prime years, and my spirit was alive in ways that I didn't remember having experienced before. In this new worship leader calling, though, I was a complete novice, and to be completely honest, I didn't want to do it. And let me take a minute and explain why. You know, this, this new contemporary worship service at my church was struggling for a foothold when my pastors first asked, and then prodded, and then challenged me to pray about taking over the musical portion. You see, I'd grown up in a relatively traditional worship setting and, and had conservatory classical music training, and I had no idea what to do with this contemporary worship. I mean, I loved and I could sing and play popular music, but I couldn't figure out how to make it work in worship. 
For me, I saw these two streams of contemporary worship music in 1997, and the, the first was the most popular, but it was simplistic, it was repetitive, and it was largely void of any obvious musical development. And the other was just plain too virtuosic to be sung by a congregation. So then my pastors explained to me that the style of worship demanded that all the music be new and upbeat and fast and happy, positive, encouraging, yeah. We have to make them happy to be here, happy about God, happy, happy, happy. I'd heard the people in contemporary service sing, hop on the bus, God's on the move. Gross, I said, I can't do that. If you want me, we have to sing from a broader experience of the life of a Christian, because it's not all new, and it's not all upbeat or happy or positive. Sometimes it convicts instead of encouraging you. To my surprise, they said yes, and we went forward. But now, where was I going to find what I was looking for? You know, the answer came from a couple of sources that shaped my life as a worshiper. And the witness in the music of Rich Mullins was a key. And this was because Rich was a psalmist on the order of King David, and his music was beautiful and singable. And his poetry and writings and recorded interviews and the witness of his life gave us permission to both sort of the heights of and plumb the depths of a life of faith, be it a lot of faith or little. Most important for me, though, as a newborn in Christ, Rich Mullins gave me the perspective of someone who openly admitted to being a work in progress. Who else could write words like, we are frail, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, forged in the fires of human passion and choking on the fumes of selfish rage. And with these our hells and our heavens so few inches apart, we must be awfully small, and not as strong as we think we are. We're still under construction. And next week we're going to explore a little more of what it means to be a work in progress and the difficulties of that sometimes. But today we're going to close with an essay from Rich Mullins published in Release Magazine in the fall of 1993. These are the words of the artist Rich Mullins. My new apartment is in the attic of Jim and Megan's house. It's a big old one-roomer with a mind of its own, a cacophony of lines that occur at approximately 45 to 90 degree angles with floors that sort of redefine level. That attic has its own idea of what square means. The studs have their own interpretation of the classic 24-inch center. Its walls are loosely vertical, and the whole thing is about two weeks away from being much more than a lot of potential. Right now, it's resistant to change, openly hostile to my ideas of what it ought to be. But slowly and surely, and occasionally, even patiently, I am, with the help of friends and a hammer, a saw, some nails, and a wrecking bar, enlightening it, changing its self-concept, convincing it that it's not merely an ugly old addict. It is a great space that I would like to inhabit and be on friendly terms with, a space full of promise and beauty and order and life. I suspect that it wants to cooperate, but it's hard, and I must be patient. Whoever it was that shaped the attic before me did so with some pretty big nails, deep cuts, hard hammers, and rough saws. They considered the attic to be wasted space, storage space, a distance between the roof and the ceiling, a, a buffer zone, and not much else. And then someone else came along and closed it in for a smoking room, a place for those ignoble activities that would be inappropriate in the house proper. And they slopped over the walls with cheap, nasty paneling and put in a bathroom covered the floors with ugly carpet and stunk it up with a tobacco habit. Now sometimes in the heat of the toil of my labor, I give in to fits of selfish rage. 
frustration more over my lack of skill than over my apartment's progress. But late at night, when I look over the piles of dust and drywall and the knee-deep debris that remain during this reconstructive effort, I'm strangely moved by the place, and I proclaim the gospel to it softly. I say, I know how it hurts to be torn up. I'm often choked on the litter left by my own remodeling. I know what it's like to settle by the grave act of a strong will into the despair of believing that you are wasted space. I have felt the blows of some heavy hammers that nailed me to a sense of uselessness. And I've been shaped by some pretty careless workers who came to the task of making me and lacked any craftsmanship or artistry. I know the pain of wanting to be changed and yet being distrustful of changes, of wanting to be worked on but being suspicious of the intentions of the worker. But here's some good news. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. However messy it may be now, however confusing and scary it appears, however endless the task may seem, we will someday be glorious, beautiful, and alive. There's much tearing out to do, a lot to give up, no thin coat of new paint, no shallow, petty piety will do. It's not good enough to cover up imperfection. It must be corrected. Art, beauty, function, these things take time. They may take until the day of Christ Jesus, but we are not wasted space. We are temples of a being greater than ourselves, temples being built to be inhabited and brought to life. And though we may not understand the process, our rebuilder does. We are his workmanship and the place where he lives. Little attic, do not despair. I'm being made by a master carpenter. I'm learning a little about building too. This brings us to the end of our time for today. Thank you so much for being with us. Join us next time as we continue to explore the Word of God and the witness of His people. And again, be sure to check out our webpage, ancientpathministries.org. Like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ancient Path Ministries. Until next time, we pray God blesses you richly. Go and be the church.